mutable state, man. <laughs> Knowing nothing about this bug, I'm going to go ahead and diagnose it in order to make a point. That's exactly right. <laughs> Welcome, listeners, to episode five of Fatal Error. I am Chris Zomback. And I'm Sarush Kanlu. And today we're going to talk about reactive programming, or I will talk about reactive programming and Sarush will ask me questions. But first, there's a really fun story that, that everyone should know which is the story of how Sarush and I actually met and became friends. Uh, and he's better at telling this story than I am, so I'm going to throw it over to you, Sarush. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. It, I think it would be remiss if we talked about Reactive without talking about the story of how we met. I usually write blog posts that have a, um, they're measured, I would say, um, with one exception. It was a blog post just titled Reactive Coco. And I just sort of took a very simple example of somebody using Reactive Cocoa. And this was back, uh, this was February 2014. So was that even before Swift came out? Was that I 2014? Think. I could have sworn it was even earlier, but it may not have yeah, been. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the date. It's February 2014. I think Fair it's enough. right before Swift came out. And, um, and I, they had a, you know, a simple example of how to use Reactive Cocoa. And this was back in the Objective-C days. And I think you know, Reactive was especially ugly back then. And so I just kind of wrote this really short post just with two examples. We'll put this in the show notes. Uh, one of the reactive example and then one of just sort of a delegate-based, really simple example. And I closed the post with just the sentence, it seems that people are looking for something new rather than something good. So Chris, Chris... I, I couldn't let that stand. <laughs> so yeah, so I, I guess uh, one of my friends, uh, Jason Brennan, who's also Chris's friend, we didn't know we had friends in common because yeah. uh, we didn't know each other at the time. Shout out, by the way, Jason is a wonderful human being. Great guy. Jason linked to my thing on his blog, which is where Chris saw it, and then Chris gave kind of a snarky version of what I was saying, basically suggesting that a Hello World in Objective-C was more complex than a Hello World in Bash, and therefore... Uh, sarcastically saying, well, Objective-C must be useless then, given that it's so complicated for this seemingly simple example. And then we both kind of felt weird about it, and so I wrote a, uh, or I think actually Chris wrote a, like a more in-depth post about like why he thinks uh, that this stuff is good, and it actually has words and paragraphs, like a real blog post, and so then I felt guilty. I actually wrote, um, wrote something with a thesis and supporting points. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. crazy, crazy I, I, I felt very bad about that blog post after I wrote it. Yeah. And then I felt guilty because I was like, well, now I've trashed this thing that so many people have worked on. And then I also made this other person feel very upset. Uh, and so I wrote a blog post. We'll put all four of these blog posts. It's very, very much a back and forth into the show notes. And then we had kind of like left it at that. And I can't remember if you reached out to me or if I reached out to you. But we decided to get a beer because we both lived in New York. You worked at the New York Times at the time, and I worked at uh, Genius. Maybe it was still Rap Genius at the time. And mm -hmm. uh, we got a beer, and we talked it over. And I don't know what steps were in between, but now we have a podcast together. <laughs> and as I recall, when we got beer, we actually barely talked about reactive programming at all. I think we just kind of like hung out and just got to know yeah. each other. It was a good first date. That's actually what it yeah, was. Yeah, it was great. It was, it yeah, was really good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that is like the story of how me and Chris became friends. And I think it's only, it's only right that we talk about it when we talk about reactive and reactive cocoa and these things. Yeah, I think that is, uh, that is absolutely fair. So now that we've kind of like uh, introduced the topic, 
Chris, I think you know way more about this. You've actually written code in this style before, and I haven't. So could you basically give me a high level? Like, why would I want to write code like this? Absolutely. So this all actually should go with the caveat that I've written relatively little, uh, very serious reactive code over the, the last uh, the last several months. So uh, you'll, you'll have to bear with me on maybe on some of your questions. But all right. let me start by going back to promises, which we discussed um which we discussed in our previous episode. You know, that gives you a, a a type that represents a promise of some future value, right? It says like, we're going to get some result from this asynchronous operation. At some point, we'll have some value or some error state here. Right. So it's a little bit of a nicer approach to uh, some common asynchronous programming patterns. Right, that makes sense. So one of the things that we mentioned in that episode or that I mentioned maybe is that what if we started thinking about generalizing that to something that what you wanted to deliver more than one event or more than one value? So as an example, you might think of something like uh, a button being tapped on screen. That's not something that you probably want to model with a promise uh, because then you could only model that button being tapped once and that promise would transition to its completed state, right? Right, right. We have a, the app that I'm currently working on. Basically, you subscribe to changes in a sockets thing. In this case, it happens to be Firebase. You, like, in the same way that you would model a, an API, just a basic you know, REST JSON endpoint with a promise, that doesn't make any sense when this changes stream to you. So you have to use something like Reactive or some bad version of it, basically. Right, and a traditional Cocoa way to go about this would be with a delegate relationship, right? Right, right. Another example, which is uh, in a different domain but is very similar, might be that you're taking data from an accelerometer or some other sensor, right? That's like that's a continuous stream of values. Uh, that's not something that you can represent with one completed promise, right? Right. So the the idea with reactive programming, as I'm going to pitch it, given our last episode is that we take this idea of, of promises, of a type that represents some future value, and extend it to represent uh, more than one future value, or maybe more than one future value. Uh, and the way that Reactive Coco, one of the very popular reactive programming frameworks for iOS, defines this as, quote, streams of values over time. So rather than a promise where you get one value or an error, or uh, and, and the uh, promise completes, with a reactive uh, stream or reactive signal, as as they'd be called in this world, you might get uh, multiple values, uh, and that stream might continue uh, to deliver values indefinitely. Or you may get several values, and the signal might complete or might error out and deliver you with uh, with some notification that this stream has completed or that the stream is finished with this error. Gotcha. I have a, a sort of an implementation detail question. Do you get one error or can you get a stream of errors as well? Or does it vary based on implementation? Uh, typically, you would get one error. Uh, like the, the error, like with a promise, is a, like a single completed state of, right, it, it uh, of a it. signal. Right. right if okay. you had something that you were where you needed to model a stream of errors, uh, like you're trying to model some outputs from some other process, that seems more like you might have a signal of errors or of some result type from the other right, process. Right, I, gotcha. I, I have to say that um, when reading about all this stuff initially, 
uh, I've kind of come around on a lot of it. I was very, very anti in the beginning, especially, you know, uh, when the listener reads those, those old blog posts, I was pretty, pretty anti. And I see some of the value, but I have to say that like the stream of values over time um, analogy, like the stream part is right, but the overtime or the, um, I've I heard data flow a lot when describing like what this reactive stuff is all about. I feel like it didn't help me as much as I would have liked it to. Sure. Um, I feel like it wasn't right, quite the right um, analogy for me to really, or quite the right model in my brain for me to get it. Sure. And uh, you're right that some, like some of this terminology is more or less helpful for different people. Absolutely. Right, exactly. So that I'm hoping that introducing it more as this sort of uh, almost natural extension of a promise type might be kind of helpful uh, for, for some listeners. And like you mentioned, it really... The, the overtime part of it is, is kind of abstract, but think about uh, writing, um, I mean, code with promises or with callbacks or with uh, any sort of asynchronous programming pattern, whatever your language provides. Really, you are like you are sort of programming over time already, right? Like you're probably doing that implicitly, but you are like you're taking yourself out of this uh, sort of instantaneous like flow of execution. Right and and writing code that's going to happen like at another point in time so yeah i guess i always thought of that as like later even though obviously that is like some model of time but i always thought of it as later rather than like as we move forward through time but it, it makes sense it just it didn't help me in particular i think try to understand okay what i was yeah that's that's not totally fair so to to sort of continue with my with my pitch here uh, something right, right. that you mentioned is is data flow, and uh, I'll extend that to say that a lot of what we're thinking about in this sort of reactive programming mindset is thinking about not just data flow, but uh, event flow, or what events uh, trigger or beget other events uh, are transformed into other are transformed to values somehow, right? Right. Or or thinking about how one event might trigger something else, something else to happen in your program, which might uh, get some data, which may be transformed into some other data, which might be delivered somewhere. This is something that is common to express in Cocoa or iOS applications, right? We have, you know, the user taps a button and something happens and we get data and it gets transformed somehow and displayed. But, but typically that would be that, that sort of flow, that, that application flow, that event flow, that data flow is i'm not sure obscured is exactly the right word but i'm going to go with it right now right that that kind of flow is often obscured b behind interfaces for various uh for for the different types in your application and that's you separating things into different types isn't uh, a bad thing though I'm, I'm not saying that at all uh, i'm saying that it can be very very helpful whether or not you're using reactive programming actually but especially if you want to use a, a reactive programming pattern to get into this mindset of thinking of how events and, and data flow through your app or might be transformed throughout the flow of your app uh, in sort of a functional programming mindset as, as time continues forward or as your program re receives inputs or receives uh, responses. Right, right. I would say perhaps instead of obscuring that flow what you're doing with a signal or an observable or a, or a you know, whatever you want to call it, um, a stream, you're, you're, you're making it rigid. You're, you're defining strictly what that signal looks like. And you're saying this, this might have originally been a delegate and it had like some shape, but now I'm telling you that this is 
a signal and it behaves like all signals and you can combine those signals in useful ways. Yeah, that, that is exactly what we're doing. So we have these, these signals which represent values or events over time and we can combine them in different ways. We can transform them with common functional programming sort of, uh, of functions of transformers. Right. And you're right. That's exactly what we're doing. We're taking this thing, this flow that would normally be somewhat obscured and actually modeling it really directly uh, in terms of how these events and values interact with each other. Because you're right, that is something I neglected to mention initially, is that these these signals can be combined and chained, somewhat like you might chain promises, right? And right. transformed. Uh, something that you might do very commonly would be to map one signal, so take uh, values of one type as they receive as they are received over time, and transform them into values of another type and send them on down the line. Right. or apply some transformation to them and send them on down the line. So as as one example uh, of how this might work, uh, and then we can get into to some more Q&A maybe, consider that uh, we, we maybe have a button that the user taps that triggers a network request, that uh, maybe we take that network response and use that to kick off another network request, and finally we take that and uh, get some text out of that response and display it to the user. That's something that you can sort of intuitively tell how we might map into common iOS patterns like a delegate pattern and uh, maybe promises if, if we're using that. But you could also imagine that the button exposes a signal which emits uh, some unit value every time the user taps it. And then we map that uh, using just the standard map operator into a, uh, an NSURL request that gets sent off. And when that response gets back to us, we map it into another NSURL request, uh, and then we that gets sent off via some reactive wrapper for NSURL session. And then when that response comes back, we can uh, again put it through another just map block to transform it into whatever we need for the UI, and the, the user interface can be subscribed to that result signal. Uh, and those those parts may still be split across different types, right? But rather than having um, this asynchronous API sort of defined ad hoc via callbacks or delegates or whatever, these types would all expose uh, these signals, which can be just which, which can be wired up to each other uh, in a really consistent way. Right. They kind of fit together kind of nicely. Right. So this way, rather than exposing. Uh, a method with a callback block or some sort of delegate interface, a type might expose just a signal uh, that's generic over, uh, over say, the type string. So you know that every time you get a new value from this signal, uh, that value will be a string. Yeah. So that's sort of one uh, somewhat contrived example in that I contrived it about 10 minutes ago here. <laughs> but uh, l let's see what, where you have questions. Like, Am I doing a decent job of explaining uh, these these ideas? I, I think you are. Uh, I think uh, with that last example, you hit on one particular thing, which is that we went from this sort of like very abstract world of we have signals and the signals become transformed. Uh, and then I feel like it kind of got a little bit technical and a little bit hostile almost with the way that um, some of the terminology just, it is, sure. I don't know, it's a little cagey, I think. I think there is, that's one of 
as I've kind of developed my feelings about Reactive and kind of played with it a little bit and read a lot more about it, I think one of the big things with it is that the terminology is so you and like at the very end it was like and it just subscribes to the signal and it's well like how does that happen and and do i need to care about it and what does that interface look like and what does that mean and there's a lot of terminology and a lot of lingo and jargon that comes with it that i think is one of the things that's kind of tougher to grasp sure that's absolutely a valid point so in that specific example to subscribe to a signal just means that you have a block which will be executed with the new value that comes across this signal, which you could think of almost as a as a pipe, right? Uh, right. So every time a new value comes across this pipe, uh, your block gets called. Uh, it won't... Yeah. I think from person to person, the exact analogy that is most, um, I don't know, that fits the best with your brain, I think varies. I think for me, the best one is subscribing to a thing. Like you're saying, like, like, I want to be a subscriber. Like, I want to subscribe to your newsletter. Every time you change, I want to hear about it. Whereas for <laughs> other people, I think Pipe is a good analogy that they really like, especially like that's very friendly in the JavaScript world because um, they deal with streams and pipes specifically okay. uh, versus signals versus observables. And like for one person being able to say, well, I want to observe this observable, uh, that might have the same depth of meaning that somebody saying, I want to subscribe to this signal or whatever words you, you choose you like end up mm -hmm. choosing. Yeah. So I think there's like a bit of a terminology thing there that like for it, when, when I thought of it as a subscription, it really clicked for me. I was like, Oh yeah. Like there, like in as much as I have other reservations about this, like subscribing to a, to a thing that seems super useful. Like I can definitely say how I would want to like subscribe to your newsletter or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'll give one more example for subscribing, then move on to a little bit more general language or terminology point. For sure. Another way to think about subscribing may be uh, just like writing a then uh, block for a promise. Right, exactly. Except that it might be called more than once, right? Right. Uh, more generally, I, I will give you the point that reactive programming uh, typically borrows quite a lot of terminology from the functional programming world. You will have uh, terms like map, flat map, um, zip, flatten, uh, filter, and some of those are more intuitive than others. Filter, for example, you can probably more or less think about what a function called filter does. Right. Others like flat map are not exactly intuitive. Yeah, well, some of them we get from, like, if you've worked a lot with arrays and, and dealing with, with lists, you are eventually, like, going to find that mapping and filtering is just way more convenient than anything else. And so some of Absolutely. those come across neatly. Well, but, someone has to tell you what map and filter mean initially. Right. But once you get that and once you're like, oh, like, oh, this is just way easier for me to write than anything else. Once you have that, um, map and filter, I think, come across pretty cleanly. So while map and filter kind of do come across pretty cleanly when you think about like, oh, here's what I do on arrays. I guess I can kind of see how I'm internally changing the value of what I'm looking at. Like, and that's what map does. Or I'm removing some of these elements and that's what filter does. Like something like flat map, it just does something totally different in a way that's kind of hard to, to think about. And it's a kind of the same, and I know why they're all named the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like I know why it's all called flat map, but like it's still like, it doesn't come across as cleanly as map and filter. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, before we move on from terminology, I do want to uh, give a shout out to the site RxMarbles. 
which will be in the show notes. We're going to have a lot of show notes for this episode. Yeah, it's going to be a big one. And this site will give you a really nice overview of all these uh, sort of map, uh, flat map, and other operations that you might uh, do with signals that you may be curious, um, what does this operation mean? Or is there an operation that does X? Uh, this site has, uh, d if I'm remembering right, has interactive diagrams that you can play with uh, that'll give you an overview of what any of these operators do. Uh, yeah. And that is really useful. It is very, very cool. And there's some that are that, are, that don't even make sense on an array, like like throttle, where it will only send one every half a second. Right. Like it will only let through one every half a second. There's no concept of time with an array, so you can't even, like it doesn't even make any sense. I was I was thinking about this earlier, like this really thinking about applying these things to a signal, uh, which again are values over time rather than values over uh, basically space, right? Right. right. Uh, so it's like we're sort of taking all the array functions and and shifting them or rotating them into this other dimension. I'm wondering if there so there are things like throttle that don't make sense in space that make sense in time. I'm wondering if there are things that make or that. Um, that are the other way around. Right, things that you could do on an array that you couldn't do on an observable. Well, so right, um, before is... we get to that, we're, we're, like, we're like grazing up against this thing that I love so, so much. I only discovered it about a little less than a month ago, and it really made a lot of this stuff click for me. And it is called A General Theory of Reactivity, and it is a GitHub repo with a bunch of docs in it. And it's basically mostly about JavaScript, but the concepts are very, very like language independent. And the person that made this has a two by two grid. And this thing to me is just so awesome. And across the top, the options are singular versus plural. And across the side, the options are spatial versus temporal. So something that is singular and spatial is just a regular value. Something that is plural, but still spatial, as you were saying, like it's, it's mapping through space, is an iterable, or you could think of that as just an array. Mm -hmm. Something that is singular, as in you, you can only have one of them, but it does represent a value through time, is a promise. And then something that is both temporal and plural is what he calls an observable. I think it's a he. But could also be called a signal, could also be called a right. subscribable, all that fun stuff. Uh, and this, to me, really clicks together a couple of things. One, it clicks together that observable is really where iterable and promise meet. And so it's both of them kind of at the same time. That is, that is to me like a very, for me, that's like the burrito. That's like the thing that makes this thing click for me. That's awesome, yeah. Here's a bunch of other stuff. Like he'll say like, well, the setter for an array, I'm going to call an iterator and, or I'm going to call a generator and the setter I'm going to, or the getter I'm going to call an iterator. I think I said that kind of funny. And he has <laughs> setters and getters and the names for the values for each of these four like combinations of this, you know, square. Uh, it's a great read. It's, it's pretty long. It, it, I think it was a talk at a couple of different conferences. So perhaps there's a video online, but uh, we're going to put this link in the show notes. It is very, it is very, it was very useful for me for crystallizing exactly what this thing is. And I think it, it helped me kind of understand one of the things that makes this so tough is because when you, I, I don't know, I, I Chris, I, I, I really want to ask you this, sure. which is, do you think that like there has been a tougher uptick for reactive programming in the community than other technologies? Boy, that's really... Not uptick, uptake, I think is what I meant to say. Yeah, <laughs> let, let's see. Uh, first, I will note that I really enjoyed reading this general theory of reactivity and found it really useful. And I'm really glad that it helped crystallize some of this stuff for you. Yeah, for sure. 
if any of our listeners are maybe struggling with some of these concepts, maybe get promises but are maybe not so clear on signals, that would be a really helpful read. Now, uh, has reactive programming seen a, I'm going to say, I'm going to rephrase, as more difficult or uh, more resistant uptake in the community than other things? Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm not sure, honestly. I mean, because we have to compare, we have to have things to compare it to, right? And uh, you could compare it to something like uh, Objective-C properties, or you could compare it to functional programming ideas and um, non-core data persistence layers, right? Right. I would also maybe add like something like AF networking, like bringing in some kind of rich abstraction for your networking. I would also maybe compare it to something like Swift in general. Uh, let's see. So Swift is a little bit unique in that Apple is pushing it, right? That's true. Yes. I think but that... it's also such a big paradigm shift of like, you know, your language is your biggest dependency when you're writing code. That's absolutely true. Uh, I think that if someone had found some way to come out with a Swift-like language that you could ship on iOS and OS X, it would have seen a much, much, much uh, less rapid uptake. Although that might just be because if you're writing on iOS or OS X, you should just use whatever language is blessed. Uh, right, exactly. It might not be because of the uh, things like uh, optional the optional types, right? Yeah. So... It's... It's tough to say. Swift, it's it's hard to say with Swift because it has Apple behind it. With right. something like AF networking, I think sort of the key distinction is that something like AF networking solves a problem that is very real and very concrete and, and that you can tell is hurting you, right? If right. you're writing uh, back in the day, like NSURL connection code, like that, that clearly sucked. Uh, and so AF <laughs> networking was... was clearly an improvement where reactive programming is a little bit of a harder sell because it's not necessarily so clear that things uh that omit that some system constructed of ad hoc notifications and delegates and blocks and interfaces that don't quite describe or types that don't quite describe uh exactly how that object behaves like it's not quite so clear that those things are painful it's more like death by a thousand cuts than like death by four url connection delegates right um <laughs> oh, thank you thank days. you for laughing at that <laughs> so, um yeah so i mean it certainly has seen a slower uptake than something like af networking i think because it's a little bit harder to sell and it doesn't um well i do think it solves a, a very real problem and helps model some relative some fairly complex asynchronous code and dependencies and helps unify these common patterns for asynchrony and event handling right it's not it's not as like viscerally clear to most ios developers that that's actually a, a problem that needs to be solved right right another potential thing that we can compare it to is uh like Redux or whatever the one is where you have like a central data store mm, yeah. of all of the, the like stuff in your app and like all the data and state in your app. And then like you can have actions that modify it and then like they, those get subscribed to by views that update themselves right. or whatever. Well, I think that's called Redux. Like maybe something like that, which hasn't seen that much uptake either. But it is it is a pretty big paradigmatic shift and it's maybe tough to have that stuff be pushed through without some kind of vendor yeah. providing it. And it's important to note that you mean Redux hasn't seen much adoption in the right. iOS world, right? Exactly, it's exactly. It's quite popular in the JavaScript world. and Well, but everything's popular in the JavaScript world for about two and a half months. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to any JavaScript developers who are listening. I think there. Are, I mean, yeah, that's. You're you're absolutely right. Um, there are some interesting ideas in Redux. I think uh, reactive programming gives us some tools that might make uh, building a Redux-like architecture much, much easier. But I, I haven't actually tried that on iOS, so yeah. we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I haven't tried the Redux thing either, and it's hard to say if it's a good analogy. But the I guess my, the broad point of my question was, like, I don't think it's seen the... I don't think it's seen uptake commensurate with how much fervor there is from the people that like it. Like the people that like it really like it. Yeah. And I and so I think one of the roots of this thing is these two axes of complexity, which is what I would call like basically your thing changes in time and it changes in space. And while that's fine for array, arrays are pretty straightforward and like you can look at them, you can get them. Promises I think are pretty straightforward and you can look at them, you can get them. And when I say you, I really think I mean me here. I'm not trying to <laughs> offload this off, off any, onto anybody. But like when I look at a signal and I see a flat map over a signal, that means that each event coming out of the signal gets turned into its own signal and then somehow is being combined. And like all of these signals together are being combined into one big signal. And I think, isn't there like, there's like merge latest, combine latest, and like there's like two other mm-hmm. um, strategies for merging these things because of this complexity. And so like... Some of it is, I think, how do you say the the two types of complexity, incidental versus incidental essential. Incidental and essential, yeah. Yeah, so some of it is is incidental. I think, like, some of the ways that these things are named and some of the ways that, like, the APIs looked, especially in the Objective-C days, used the word ad hoc a little bit earlier, and it definitely wasn't an ad hoc system back in those days. I think it makes a lot more sense now in, in the Swift world. But some of it is well, really essential complexity because when you merge these signals, like, do you only want the last one from each one? Do you only want, like, like what if one of them sends an ending signal? Like, how are you going to handle that? Oh, so I totally, totally get what you're saying. Um, this is not your core point, but I'll push back that, like, things make a little more sense in Swift because, I mean, we're still writing Swift with the same patterns for asynchronous programming as we were in Objective-C. Like, that that hasn't changed. But yeah, uh, you're, I, I really wanted to bring up the incidental versus essential com- essential. Um, <laughs> That's right. It's both kinds of complexity at once. <laughs> yes. Incidental versus essential complexity. Because this complexity uh, of the sort you're thinking about here, you're talking about, is a really common argument against uh, using reactive programming techniques, right? But, I mean, let's think about what we're trying to do with these techniques, right? If we're trying to replace some system that's already in our app with a system that's written with uh, reactive programming, it's not like we're aiming to change behavior or add more complex behavior. We're trying to model the system that's already there. And if we're trying to replace a system with uh, something written with, say, Reactive Cocoa or Rx Swift, and our reactive code is is somewhat complex, and we find that we're having to think very hard about uh, what how these two signals get, get merged, let's say. Like, this is not incidental complexity that's due to bringing reactive programming into the mix. This is complexity which was already in whatever code you were trying to replace. It's just that you may not have been thinking about it, right? So if you have a case where you have to decide um, on uh, how how you're filtering a signal, that's 
probably uh, something that you would be writing in like deciding whether or not to return early from some delegate method that retur- that uh, is given new values, right? right? If you're thinking really hard about how to merge two signals, what you're actually trying to do there is not something that is like incidental because of the reactive approach. It's It's essential to whatever problem you are trying to solve. It's just that if you weren't using reactive programming, that complexity would almost be be buried uh like you wouldn't think about it things would just sort of would happen however they happened to occur in the system that you construct and hopefully you used uh ns operation queues with dependencies or dispatch groups to manage uh those to manage merging these two asynchronous results correctly hopefully those are fairly complicated uh, apis too hopefully it's thread safe right so this I, is, I don't this actually is my, disagree my with usual... you on these specific examples that you're bringing up, but I do well, think that there the are examples that these are the examples you brought up. Like, this is just my, my usual pushback here is that like if you're trying to model something with reactive programming and it seems complex, that more often than not is because you're trying to model something that is complex and you are just actually thinking about it instead of almost accidentally constructing a system that has that complexity in it. So for for some things I'm for some things I'm actually down. Like especially the examples you brought up and if you're really talking about explicitly merging these two things like you have to have that option of like should I combine latest what should I do with with um completed signals or whatever. But if you the fact that you even let's say have completed signals is a result of you're making this signal type so generic that it has to the, um generic enough to fit every single possible case. And so you need this um, you need this completed signal, let's say, this completed event. Another example of this is like RX Swift's dispose bags. So if you're if you're subscribing to something, make sure you do it with a weak like with a weak self capture group um, to make sure that you know that block that subscriber doesn't stay around for for much longer mm-hmm. than it's supposed to, and keep your yourself around. And then when you're supposed to deallocate, make sure you deallocate any signals that you're trying to hold on to to prevent those retain cycles. So that's another bit of complexity. So dispose bags. I'm not actually sure. I know how RX Swift does the dispose bags. I'm sure like Reactive Coco has to have some kind of, you know, facility for that as well because it's just necessary. Whereas if you had a simpler API in certain cases, that stuff would just go away. Like I've never had to implement a dispose bag for code that's not signal-based. You just like, what is a dispose bag? You know what I mean? And that's that's not to say that it is like that that invalidates the value of this stuff because like so promises can't be canceled for example um if you wanted to add the ability to cancel a promise you would have to add that to every single promise and you'd have to every new promise you make you have to you know now check whether it's been canceled and like have a bunch more machinery around that stuff so if you need that in every single place or if you need that in one place you end up having to add it in every single place and so in javascript and in most of the promise libraries that we have on objective c with the exception of swift task you just can't cancel. You just can't do it anymore. And like we mostly say, you know, it's fine. We don't we don't need it that badly. But if you want to add those capabilities, you have to add that complexity. Yeah, I mean, so so this is true. I do think that okay, I I haven't looked at recent Reactive Coco quite enough to compare and contrast Reactive Coco and RX Swift uh, in terms of disposables offhand. Yeah, I don't know how they do it. I do think that historically I've liked how Reactive Coco does it. I think there's a little a little bit more uh, a little bit more magic there so there's a little bit less that you have to worry about but I I'll, I'll give you that 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 is a little bit more complicated although 
I will still say that my intuition is that these are things that you, these are things that you would be managing almost accidentally in writing conventional Kogo code. It's just that you are thinking about them more when writing. I don't disagree with that. I think that's basically right. Which is maybe unfortunate, right? If you can accidentally write something that, that is correct, like that's, that's maybe better than having to think about writing something every time. But Well, or, or that like it's so trivial to write it as correct that you can just look at it and say like, yeah, obviously this is doing the right thing. So one example, one of the things that really bums me out is like, you know when you're writing – you're trying to write like a like an array processing thing. I guess you call it list comprehension, uh, in terms of like a map and a filter. Except you need something in the map from the filter, or like vice versa. And then you try to flat map over it, and then you end up passing around a tuple, like an array of tuples, as your intermediate thing. And then you're just like, oh my god, this just got way <laughs> worse. And if I just use a for loop, like it would have been fine. And like every time that happens, it like makes me frustrated because I want to use those tools of the maps and the filters and the stuff. But you're just like, you know what, I'm just going to do it this other way because it's just like I need too much stuff from too many places and perhaps I can't change the types that they came from or whatever. Uh, and I just have to like suck it up and do it with a flat map that returns nil instead of a map and a filter, let's say. Uh, and I feel like there are, the, there are some of the cases that we're talking about with signals can be like that, where it's like, oh, well, I could shoehorn this to fit into the signal model, but... I'm just making my life more difficult. I mean, so this is more just sort of processing things in a functional way, right? I mean, that definitely, I, I don't know exactly what to say here. That's definitely something that requires more more thought and certainly isn't as straightforward as doing things uh, sometimes in a very imperative way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I don't know if I really have, have anything to add there. Except to say, like, that's not necessarily, uh, I mean, that's not necessarily a knock on reactive programming so much as, like, functional operations on, on data, right? Like, Yeah, I think that's more or less right. It's just that it's just that it works at some points and it doesn't in others, maybe. So, like, like let, me, let me turn that around and say, like, there is a, there's a framework called SwiftBond, and SwiftBond has now... Um, become Reactive Kit, which I really can't distinguish between that and RX Swift <laughs> and Reactive Cocoa. But Bond was, I thought, unique in that it was just so, like its API was so simple and so dead useful that you look at the code and you're like, obviously I want this. Like, what hoops am I going to have to jump through to get this? Like, for example, mm -hmm. on their, uh, we'll put this in the show notes, um, but on their uh, readme, they have this, they have this little line of code and I read it and I was just like, this is, like, I just have to have this. Uh, and it's just, it's, their, like, prefix is BND. So for their categories, you know, everything's BND. Um, so it says, like, text field .bnd text bind, And then the argument is to label.bnd text. And again, mm -hmm. talking, on, talking about code on a podcast is tough. But basically just, like, one line of code, zero blocks. I don't know what a dispose bag is. All I did was, like, write this line of code. And now every time I change my text field, my label gets updated. And I don't care how it happened. Like, that is so cool. And then, yeah, you had the map. That makes sense. You had the filter. That makes sense. Um, you do need the blocks eventually. Like, mm -hmm. you want to do a custom thing. But when it gets, I don't know, when it, it, it from there can get really, really complicated. And that's the, that I think is the frustrating part. But, like, if you can hide that complexity and, like, like, it basically, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's kind of a shame that this library, which to me seemed so elegant, turned into like another 
reactive cocoa clone. Like we don't need another one of those, but I do think we could use another thing that lets you write like one line of code that just, you don't have to think about it and this will just work. And that, I don't know, that was, yeah. that's so, the power of the stuff. I, the thing there is that any, any of those, um, and I mean, you see this time and time again, any of those very simple, oh, I just want to bind this to this is useful in, is typically useful in a relatively limited uh, set of use cases. Mm, yeah. And then it starts necessarily expanding to have more capabilities and eventually grows into say reactive, reactive kits right yeah. reactive kit right and i'll note that like bond does have some notion of disposables or dispose bet like it's just it does yeah yeah it i don't know I, so i haven't used this which is why i can't speak to it with the you know level of depth that i would really like to but if i could have the good stuff and not have to have the bad stuff that seems tight I mean, I'm. I, I'll just say that there's not. I, I don't think there's that much bad stuff. Like you have to hold on to, if you have an ownership interest in something, you have to hold on to something to retain it. Like that's, that's pretty, pretty trivial. Yeah, pretty pretty straightforward. So yeah, I don't know the Swift Bond. I just I saw that stuff in the, in the readme, and I was like, this is just this is great. This is what I want. And so like, I don't know. I kind of I guess I did kind of you know, attached to that. But I know there's other ones, and I know you have more experience with them than I do. I know there's RX Swift, which I feel like gained a little bit of popularity recently, mm-hmm. and there's Reactive Cocoa, which still has, like, a pretty loyal following. What is your preference? Yeah, I was just going to say, can I give a little bit of, of context here? So, uh, Yeah, for sure. Reactive Cocoa was, uh, as far as I know, the first library to bring this reactive programming paradigm to iOS and Mac platforms. It dates back to, oh, I forget exactly when, but the uh, way back in the Objective-C days, pre-Swift. And it notably deviates from the RX sort of uh, quote-unquote specification that uh, I believe Microsoft and company put forward for reactive programming. And it deviates in a couple key areas. Is this like that, a hot and cold signal thing? This is thing? a hot and cold signal thing, or more recently, the signal versus signal producer thing. Right, right. In a way that I think makes sense, but it's because of a basically differing design philosophy. RX Swift uh, came onto the scene after the Swift programming language came out. Uh, given that name, that, that seems obvious, right? Yeah, that checks out. And follows the RX specification uh, closely. And so those are sort of the two big players, um, and, and that's the key difference between them, really. Gotcha. And the RX marbles are the same. They use the same terminology and the same everything as RX Swift. That is correct, although... Uh, if for, in terms of those operations, you'll find that Reactive Cocoa doesn't really deviate from naming those operations, generally gotcha. speaking. Gotcha, okay. I remember a specific case where, like, Throttle was named one thing, or what, one library called it Throttle and one library called it Debounce. Hmm, okay. And we were in Slack trying to figure out which one is which, and it turns out they're exactly the same, but they just have different names because... Differing design, yeah, because programming. I uh, started working with Reactive Cocoa back in the Reactive Cocoa two days, and don't really have any experience firsthand with RX Swift. So my uh, m- my heart is with Reactive Cocoa. Nice. Likewise, I don't really have any experience with Reactive Kit or Interstellar. Yeah, Interstellar seems cool to me. I don't know if you've ever played with it. I haven't played with it. Uh, we did look at it at work actually a little while ago because it seemed simple and straightforward which which we liked in an implementation as i recall i was not impressed with the test coverage at the time i'm not sure if that's changed Mm, that makes sense Uh, that seems like a thing that would be sort of not easy enough to change but like seems like a thing that they could change and that could be like like that's not a fundamental screw up i when i was writing my promise 
implementation once I had like written it once and then like found a bunch of bugs in it and like kind of scrapped some code, rewrote it. I was like, well, let me take a look at some of this other stuff and see if I can make heads or tails of this other stuff now that I have like a... So I feel like when you write a piece of code, you like know it more intimately than even if you've read it a hundred times. Oh, yeah. And so I, I went into the like just their, you know, the source of their signal, you know, class. And it looked so familiar that because... Uh, yeah, it looked so familiar. I was just shocked. I was running through and I was like, this is just exactly what I just wrote, except yeah. with the ability to change it more than once and like inform all the subscribers. But one of the one of the key differences though is like, so you look at the top of the class and it has the three, the same three instance variables. Basically, you have your value, which is a result, you know, generic over T, uh, an array of callbacks, mm-hmm. which are just, you know, callbacks. And then they have a mutex. I used a, I used a queue, like a serial queue. Uh, but that's basically the same thing. So the shape of it is exactly the same, like the structure. But the difference that you notice is they can't clear their callbacks array once they've fired the callbacks, whereas a promise implementation can. And so you don't actually have to worry about, well, did I subscribe weak? Did I need to dispose this? With promises, you know that all those callbacks will just be thrown away as soon as they're fired and they're mm-hmm. done. But with this, now you've got this extra, this like other layer of like, oh, well, you're gonna have to like you're gonna have to maintain and make sure that you unsubscribe from this when the time comes. Yeah. Or that you're weak or whatever. So, but I don't know. Reading the, reading the implementation of this thing, it was really cool. It was really cool because it was like clear how these two things are just like. Yeah, you and know, if siblings, if uh, if you the listener are are very curious about this, uh, maybe after reading general theory of reactivity or, or not. I mean, that's a lot of reading. You certainly take a tour through this uh, through Interstellar's yeah. signal implementation. Interstellar's the code is really nice. It's very like the spacing is nice. Everything is nice, so you can like, just kind of look at it. <laughs> the and space see. thing is nice. It's important to have good spacing. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> um, and I kind of I attempted to write my own promise library with the intention of like if you look at it, you can kind of see what's happening and what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that is true because I like wrote it, so I know it very intimately. But if you, like if a reader or if a listener takes a look and says like, oh yeah, I can actually kind of see what's happening here and why like this thing looks like that. If you can get it from the promise thing, I think you can get it from interstellar signal class as well. It's really cool when you like look at it and you're like, oh, oh wow, that makes sense. And that's really cool. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. Boy. Yeah. One, so a few things that I wanted to note before we wrap up, uh, didn't find a good place to put these anywhere else in the episode. Nice. Swift and particularly support for generics makes this stuff so much nicer than it was in Objective C. Yeah. If your only experience here was playing with Reactive Cocoa in Objective C, and you thought like this is kind of nice, but this is kind of verbose, and that is a whole lot of yeah. uh, closing square brackets, <laughs> and everything is just ID. I have to know what's what. Try it again in Swift. Generics. Yeah, no more underscore underscore block. No more yeah. underscore underscore weak. No more um, mm-hmm. weird carrots everywhere. No more. I mean, it's oh, just, I forgot about the weird carrots. Don't oh. forget about weird carrots. They were bad. They were bad. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of that stuff. One of the original criticisms I wrote in my big post about how much I hated Chris was <laughs> <laughs> was that like Objective C is designed for objects, and like putting this stuff in there, you really are stretching it's in the, the name. And doing weird. It is in the name. It's true, and it's good at objects. I'm good at defining them. It is that. It's a little wordy to define them, but it's good at objects. Um, It was less good at block-based stuff at the time, and Switz is way better at it, and that part of the 
pain has definitely been ameliorated. You remember NS block? Blocks are just objects. Wait, what is NS block? There's a secret class underneath every block in Objective C. Nice, nice. Block <laughs> underscore copy. Yeah. <laughs> so you said you had a couple things you wanted to throw in. Uh, right. One was that Objective it's gotten better. Yes. Uh, the other is that if you're looking around, for example, code, uh, there are a lot of examples of reactive code that are, is maybe not very well written or not clearly commented or not uh, just not very clear. And so if you find an example that seems like it should be good, but just isn't making sense, uh, like feel free to move on and try to find another example. Like that's that that's totally fair. And that's true of just a lot of code that is on the internet, right? But it's that's especially true. true in this world for some reason. <laughs> and the last thing that I wanted to say is just, you know, be be open to this, right? I hope that one of the metaphors that we've touched on in this podcast was helpful for you or some of the resources that we're putting in the show notes might be helpful and that next time you're trying to model some sort of intertwined asynchronous operation, even if you don't use Reactive Coco or Rx Swift, uh, I hope that you kind of take a step back and think not just about the delegates or blocks that might you might have to put in place to make something happen, but think about how data and events are are flowing through um, are flowing through your application or th flowing through the problem that you're trying to solve. Yeah. And I, I have a friend who they added an observable type into their project. It's not, you know, part of RxSwift. It's not part of anything. It's just mm -hmm. an observable type. You can subscribe to it. That's it. You can map over it. That's all you can do. And it, the whole thing is 100 lines of code, and it's super useful for him. Yeah. And he loves it. And yeah. so if that's the extent of this stuff, then great. Right. If, if that works for you, then cool. You have a new tool in your toolbox that solves yeah. a problem. That's great. There you go. That's that's pretty much all I wanted to throw in. So we're now entering hour three of our podcast on reactive <laughs> programming. <laughs> uh, we knew this would be a long one. This one, not only is it a spicy topic, it's also the, the history and everything with us is just so funny. We've got to be yeah. only entering minute 40, right? <laughs> Maybe 45. I think so. I think we're, we're up there. We'll figure out if this is going to be two episodes or one episode. But it was a pleasure, Chris. I think we touched on... Basically everything we wanted to talk about. Maybe we'll do a follow-up episode. Who knows? Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. This was good, though. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. I will, um, I'll be in New York later this week, so I'll see you in person. That sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, we hope that this has been fun, and we will talk to you in two weeks.